Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Jacob. Welcome to another episode of Fly on the Wall. This week, we had the opportunity to chat with Julie Pace, who is the Washington Bureau Chief for the Associated Press. In her role, she oversees more than 100 journalists who cover the White House, Congress, national politics, national security, and federal agencies. In addition to the presidencies of Barack Obama and Donald Trump, Julie has covered four presidential campaigns and was awarded the Merriman Smith Prize for her coverage of the 2012 presidential campaign. All right, without further ado, let's hop on in. Well, hello, Julie. Thank you so much uh, for joining us on Fly on the Wall. We are very, very excited to speak with you. Hey, uh, I'm really happy to be here. So to kick this off, uh, what motivated you to pursue a career in journalism? You know, it's funny. I am, am one of those rare people who sort of always knew that this is what I wanted to do. And it's hard to pinpoint exactly when that started. Um, but it was as early as elementary school. I was the editor-in-chief of my fifth grade newspaper. The big deal, small would drive elementary newspaper. We needed a better name, but that was pretty much it. Um, and I, I just really was taken by the idea of telling stories and talking to people and having an outlet to um, really channel my curiosity. I've always been one of those people that just has liked to ask questions, has liked to try to figure out what's going on. Um, and, you know, over time, as I just kept testing this proposition of, do I want to be a journalist? Is this really what I want to do? The answer kept being yes. <laughs> and so I just kept going. Um, and, you know, all of the reasons why I think I initially wanted to do it still really remain now that I just think it is, if you're a curious person who is, you know, interested in the world and interested in people, there's literally nothing better than, than getting to professionally, you know, find out answers to, to problems and getting to talk to people all day long. So with, with the time you've spent doing journalism, do you have any favorite memories from the field? <laughs> yeah, you know, I have a bunch. Um, you know, really, uh, the bulk of my career has been spent in Washington, and I've been really lucky to cover um, presidents and presidential politics. And, you know, there are a couple of moments that really stand out to me. There was this one moment where I really remember so specifically thinking, oh, wow, like this is why I got into this business. And it was um, the night that Osama bin Laden was killed. And I got called by a source at the White House to come into the White House that night. They said, you're going to want to be here. And so I rushed to the White House and um, the news unfolded over the next couple hours. And it was really busy and hectic. And I walked out of the White House. Finally, it was about three in the morning. And there were these massive crowds that had gathered outside the White House and they were cheering and waving American flags and just this really kind of big, joyous um, atmosphere. And I remember kind of walking through the crowd, trying to get out, you know, to find a, a cab. It was pre-Uber um, and thinking like, these are the kind of moments that I always wanted to cover. Like this is history. And it was, um, I still, I still get chills, like thinking of that, of that moment. It was really, it was really amazing. That's incredible. Um, and you, as you mentioned, you've covered four presidential campaigns over the course of your career. How has presidential campaign coverage changed over time? Oh, goodness. You know, it's it's changed quite a bit. You know, the first campaign that I covered was 2008. And, you know, I think that that was the that was the first campaign where social media was, you know, a presence, but it was pretty limited. Um 
it was the first campaign where, you know, the idea, this will sound so funny to, to you guys because you're so young, but the first campaign where I feel like uh, the idea that there was sort of an immediacy to the coverage was really part of it, you know, with, with uh, more news organizations going online, having more of a, a digital presence, you know, there was the, the much less of a delay by the time a candidate said something and the, the time, not just that it was reported, but that it was kind of analyzed and assessed and that a, an opinion was, was formed about it. Fast forward to 2020, sort of the whole campaign was playing out in that kind of space, just in a live fashion. It wasn't just that you could see what and hear what candidates were saying. It was that it was being you know, sort of instantly analyzed in so many different ways and on so many different platforms. And that that has certainly, I think, changed the way that candidates have to run. I mean, they don't get a lot of space anymore. And they also recognize that as much as they may be physically speaking to an audience in Iowa or in New Hampshire in those early days, you know, they really are very much already speaking to a national audience. And, and that's the other thing that I think has really changed. You know, I, Obama has talked about this a little bit and some other candidates have as well. In the 08 campaign, I think there was still a sense in those early states that you were talking to the state, that you were, it was really important in Iowa what you said about, you know, corn subsidies and what your ag policy was. In the 2020 campaign, when I was out there for the Democratic primary in Iowa, what Iowa voters wanted to know about is, from Democrats, was how are you going to beat Trump? Like that was the that was the question that they wanted to know. It was that national kind of end game question. It wasn't about that kind of local issue. Now that could be a function of I think the uniqueness of the 2020 race, but I also think it's just a function that like our politics has become really flat right now. And 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 at, at a national level, they are national races much more than a series of local races, which is actually you know the way our system is is set up. Yeah, and along those lines, um, you talk about covering Iowa and covering these different campaigns. Um, and something that's very unique about your journalism career is you've worked for the Associated Press since 2007. So what about the outlet, the mission, or the work made you stick around for so long? Yeah, it's a good question. It's what I get a lot because I think it's also kind of a unique thing that I've, I've kind of stayed at one place um, for a long time. And you know, it's funny. It was never my intention to to do that. But I think there are a couple of things. I think one, you know, I have always been drawn to the idea of journalism as a public service, you know, journalism as, um, you know, it's it's what I, it's my, my form of service. And I feel like journalism is very much part of the fabric of our democracy. And the AP actually plays this really special role in making that happen, you know, by virtue of who we are as a business, you know, we produce journalism and we provide it to other news organizations. You know, we are the eyes and ears in Washington and around the world for all of these other news organizations who can't be in all of those places. You know, whether it is in Washington, whether it's in Myanmar right now, or there's a coup that's happened, you know, we're there. And I've always loved that sense of mission, that feeling that like wherever the story is, the AP is going to be there. And it's also this really great, diverse group of people that work for the AP. It's, um, you know, we really pride ourselves in not only having a footprint all over the world, but having a global staff. So just this morning, you know, I was on our, our morning news meeting and we were announcing a bunch of promotions for staffers in the Middle East. And pretty much every staffer was 
a, a native of the country that they are reporting in, which is not something that you see in a lot of places. And I really have loved the, the fact that the AP gives a platform to journalists um, who are not just, you know, American and, and European. Um, so that's been part of it. And then the other thing, and I think this is just, you know, one of those things you always want to think about when you are choosing, you know, your, your place of employment is, um, you know, are there opportunities for advancement? Are there opportunities to take your next step? Or are you going to kind of get into one job and that's all you're ever going to be able to do? And the thing about AP that has been so great for me and for so many people is that kind of every step of the way, when I got to that point where I was like, all right, I'm ready for a new challenge. I'm ready to take on, you know, a little more responsibility. I'm ready to do something a little bit different. Like the opportunity was just there. There was a good opportunity within the same company. And so I never felt like I needed to leave because I was feeling fulfilled and mentored and supported as I was looking for my next step. So it's, um, it's one of those things that just, you know, you, you suddenly turn around and you've been there like 15 years. You're like, wow, how did that happen? <laughs> but it's been a really great ride. Yeah, that, that's super interesting. Um, how would you describe your journey across those stepping stones? How, how has your role evolved over time? Yeah, I mean, it's evolved pretty massively. You know, when I did my um, first campaign, which was the, the 08 campaign I started in 2007, I was the most junior person, not just covering the campaign, like I was the most junior person in the whole of the AP Washington Bureau. I had such little experience. I was such a, you know, kid. And, um, you know, I went from there covering that campaign to being the most junior person at the White House. So I kind of took a step up from politics to the White House, still like low person on the totem pole. Um, you know, after four years though, you know, I worked really hard those first four years on the White House beat. I took every assignment. I took all the weekend and night assignments. I volunteered for all the crappy, you know, shifts, did all the, you know, stories that nobody else wanted to do. And after four years, I had kind of worked my way up and I was named the chief correspondent. And so I went from the most junior person on the team to the most senior person on the team. And, you know, I always say to people like that is for no other reason than I just worked really, really hard. And I, like I said, I just kind of did everything that like nobody else wanted to do, which is often kind of the way <laughs> that you have to kind of prove yourself. Um, and then, you know, after four years as the, as the chief correspondent, um, I spent a little bit of time as the chief correspondent then, you know, covering the Trump administration and an opportunity came up um, to not just run our White House coverage, but to run our whole bureau. And um, when uh, the top, you know, editor at the AP asked me about that, I was like, well, that's crazy. Like, nobody would think that I should be doing that. And they said, well, think about it. You should, you should, you should think about it. I think you can do it. And I started to think about it. I was like, okay let's give this a shot. And so I, I took it on and now I oversee more than a hundred journalists and it's everything from White House to Congress, to national security, to domestic policy, to healthcare, to immigration, photographers, videographers, text reporters. Um, and, you know, it's been, it's been quite an evolution to go from that like most junior person in the bureau to now like literally running the bureau. And there are a lot of people who, who work there who were there when I was the most junior person and they're all great about it. And it's, you know, we joke about it sometimes. Um, but it's, uh, like I said, I mean, I think it's nothing more than just like really working hard and like kind of when an opportunity comes up, you're like, all right, let's, let's, let's give this a shot. Why not? Right. That makes sense. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, so you, you came into your current position as Washington bureau chief, um, as the Trump presidency was 
kind of fundamentally shifting the nature of journalism and the media. Uh, from your perspective, what have been some of the most notable changes over the last four and a half or so years? And which ones do you think will have a lasting impact? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, it is hard to overstate what a shift it was. I mean, we, you know, at the AP in particular, you know, I've said this before, but like, we were not built for the Trump presidency. You know, we were, we were built for a more traditional presidency and we got caught off guard, you know, at the start of, of that administration. And so, you know, we had to really adjust to a couple of things. I mean, we had to adjust to just a speed and intensity of news that I think that we hadn't really experienced in Washington before. The only thing I can kind of compare it to is um, the intensity of covering like a war. You know, it's very different, obviously, but just this like constant feeling of like being in, in crisis, basically. That, that's what it felt like. And over time you adjusted to it and it became normal. But at those, those first months, I mean, it was just like we were shell-shocked, you know, trying to absorb like everything that was that was coming at us. So that was part of it. I think one of the other big things that shifted, and, and I, I hope that this is one that is not long-lasting, to be honest, is so much of the coverage became about just Trump himself, like the singular person. It wasn't really about the White House. It wasn't about the policy. It wasn't about even like the office of the presidency. It was just about like this one man. And I, I think that that really, as, as a result, I think that there were so many stories that were just not covered and or were overshadowed. And I think that ultimately that was a bit of a disservice to our readers. Like so many things were happening that were important that just didn't get attention because he kind of gobbled up the spotlight. And so, you know, I think we're already seeing in the Biden administration, and I hope going forward that, you know, of course, we're always going to cover the president as a, as a singular figure because of the uniqueness of that office. But I hope that we can focus a little more on the idea of like the administration and the presidency as an office and the policies that are resulting from that presidency and not just the person as an individual. Yeah, and building off of that, um, we're two months into the Biden administration. What do you think will be those most salient issues covered by journalists and which ones need more coverage um, over the next few years? I think certainly at the start, you know, it's all about the pandemic. Um, that that really has been the dominant storyline. And what's interesting about it is that you know, Biden wants that to be the case. That's a big shift from, from Trump, where of course the pandemic was the major story of 2020, but Trump didn't want that to be the case. Biden has basically embraced the idea that he is, whether he likes it or not, you know, he is the president who is going to be judged on his ability to get this country out of this pandemic. And so he talks about it a lot. He's, there's a ton of public health briefings. Um, you know, we're, we're sort of, we joke in the bureau that it's kind of death by briefing these days. We're like overloaded with briefings, but they really are trying to, to build, you know, focus on this. So we're spending a lot of time covering that. But I do think as we get beyond the pandemic, you know, hopefully sooner rather than later, I think there are a couple of big storylines that I am watching. One of them is going to be, you know, how Biden is able to reestablish America's role in the world and whether the rest of the world is eager to have that happen. You know, I think that there's there's sort of this easy answer where it's like, oh, well, foreign leaders, um, you know, particularly in Europe, didn't love Trump, and they're going to be so excited to have Joe Biden back on the stage. 
But actually, you know, when you talk to foreign diplomats, when, when I talk to my colleagues, you know, who work overseas, what they say is that you know, a lot of these countries are pretty wary. You know, they don't know if, if Biden is essentially just like a stopgap and will go back to a more kind of, you know, Trump, America first focused foreign policy in just a couple of years, or if Trump is the aberration, right? Is Trump the, the unique figure in all of this? And so they're they're going to be a little wary to go all in with Biden. And I think like how he tries to navigate um, that dynamic overseas is going to be really fascinating. And then I think the other big story that I am really interested in is, is just this, um, this question of representation. You know, we've gone through this period in this country over the last year or so that I think has really highlighted um, you know, so many issues that we have with, uh, you know, racial injustice, with um, underrepresentation, with, um, uh, you know, really recognizing that this country probably hasn't made enough progress on race um, and representation as we sometimes like to think that we have, and yet we just elected a 70-something-year-old white man, right? So how does this presidency deal with this issue of representation? How does the country think about this issue of representation as we look not just like at what's happening right now, but where we go coming out of the Biden administration? So you mentioned ways that the pandemic has changed politics. Um, what surprising or unexpected changes did COVID-19 bring to journalism and how did you have to adapt? Oh goodness. You know, we're talking like one year almost to the day the 13th of March was the day that uh, my bureau shut down. And, you know, I thought we'd be gone a month. I really did. I thought we'd be, see you guys in a month or so. You know, and it was really hard at the start trying to replicate, like, the energy of a newsroom and the just natural conversation that happens in a newsroom. Um, we've gotten better at that in our virtual environment, the same way I'm sure you guys have in your classes. Um, but it's really hard. I mean, we have to really kind of force ourselves to find time to just brainstorm and share ideas and, um, you know, get over kind of the awkwardness of the, of the Zoom. Um, so that, you know, that has been just like a hugely significant change. Um, I also think though, like in a, in a positive way, and I hope that this is one of the, the, you know, positive and long lasting effects of this is I actually do think that it, helped us shine a spotlight on, um, on stories that uh, are really important and, un and undercovered. I mean, it really revealed that when it comes to a social safety net in this country, like it's a pretty tenuous social safety net. You know, a lot of people who lost their jobs, who, um, you know, were struggling to keep their kids in school or were struggling with, with uh, childcare found that there was not a lot of help available. And so we've talked a lot in our bureau about just how we're gonna keep covering that idea of the social safety net and, and, and sort of what the responsibility is of the government versus the individual on that front. We've talked a lot about um, inequities in healthcare. Um, and I hope that that remains a storyline that we continue to, to cover. And, and we've also talked a lot about just overall racial disparities. You know, it's so much of that, you know, whether it's focused on health or economics or access to uh, social safety net programs, like we've seen so much of that disparity play out. And I think it's been very clarifying for people you know, that this is not, that's not an issue that's going to go away when the pandemic is, is over. So we've got to keep focusing on that. So I do hope that out of the, you know, kind of crummy 
setup that we all find ourselves in, in terms of covering these stories, that good storylines um, remain really relevant and important to us coming out of this. Yeah, for sure. And I think another issue that is really important to our listeners is where people are getting their news um, going forward. And for a lot of young people who are increasingly turning away from these established traditional news outlets like print newspapers or cable news, um, how is social media changing journalism? And what do you think news consumption will look like in 20 years? That is a great question. I have no idea on the last question. Um, I wish I did. I would I would create the thing that it would, that everyone was going to be reading in 20 years. You know, I think that we're very much still in a process of evolution on this front. Like, I don't think anybody really has a clear answer for, for where this all goes. I mean, you're right that I think young people, um, we have to pay attention to not just where you're consuming news, but, but why you're consuming it in those places. Like what is the draw of these places that you're going to for news? You know, we had a really great discussion in one of my discussion groups. Um, and we were talking about the Texas um, energy crisis and the, the cold weather snap that they had. And one of the students in my group was talking about getting her and um, her reporting about the way that was impacting people from TikTok. And I was like, what do you mean? And she said, well, people were just posting, you know, videos of what they were going through. And I was able to just watch that and experience that with them. And that was so interesting to me, but you didn't need the filter of a, of a mainstream news organization to tell you what people were going through there. You were literally just watching people tell you what they were going through. And so that idea of like breaking down that filter and that sort of middleman, you know, that kind of gatekeeper role that the media always has had. I do think we have to grapple with, with that. You know, what is our role when you can do that? You know, I don't need to tell you what, you know, Grace and Jacob are going through in, in the cold weather in Texas. Grace and Jacob are going to tell you what they're going through and they're going to show you. So, you know, I do think like we have to figure out how we how we try to play an essential role. Maybe our role is to provide more analysis. Maybe our role is to focus more on, you know, just making sure we're holding public officials accountable for what Grace and Jacob are going through, you know, as I'm watching their TikTok videos. I don't know, but it was really, really fascinating to me to sort of like hear that that was a place that people were going to, to understand the story. That sound means it's time to transition into our lightning round. Uh, okay, so ready. We will ask you three real quick questions and get three real quick answers. Okay. First question, as a Buffalo native, we have to ask, would you consider yourself a member of the Bills Mafia? Oh, 100%. Go Bills. Super Bowl next year. It's our year. Awesome. What's a good book you've read recently? Oh, I just read this really terrific book called The Splendid and the Vile, and it's about Winston Churchill in World War II, and it's it's um, right as he's convincing, trying to convince Roosevelt to um, get America involved in the war. Fabulous, fabulous read. That sounds super interesting. I'll have to really check good. it out. Um, and last question, uh, what is one thing that you think every aspiring journalist should know? I think that every aspiring journalist should know that it's really important to actually listen to the answers that people are giving you. You go into that interview and you got your list of questions and you're just like rolling through them. And sometimes you don't actually listen to the answer and you realize you just missed something really interesting. So we all like to ask questions, spend a little more time actually listening to the answers. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I hope we listened effectively. While <laughs> you did here. a great job. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Well, it was great to speak with you. Thank you, guys. That was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining us this week for another great episode of Fly on the Wall. Before you go, make sure to follow us on social media at Fly on the Wall Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And as always, you can email us at flyonthewallpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.